So we're in John chapter 5. Bring the first 18 verses. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had, been, had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This truly powerful story shows us the compassion, the authority, the power, the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What you're seeing here is that Jesus is still at work today healing people from physical pain like this man. But he not only does that, Jesus also heals emotional brokenness and spiritual sickness. And so we praise our God together who is our healer. And we see here that Jesus is healer. So let me give you the primary truth from this, this story here, this account of this healing, is that only Jesus offers true and complete healing. Only Jesus can do that. And so Jesus, as God in the flesh, Jesus here, he offers true and complete healing. Throughout his time when he was living on earth, Jesus had many one-on-one -on -one conversations with different people, as you see in the Gospels. And so these accounts show us the way that Jesus continues to encounter people even today. And so Jesus meets you and he meets me right where we are today. So this morning, together as we look at this story in John 5, we're going to see how every one of us still is in need of God's healing. And when we find ourselves in needing his healing, and whether we realize it or not, because sometimes we need healing and we're not even aware of it, but we still do need it. And we are desperate for it. And we are desperate for a fresh encounter with Jesus. 
So why do I say that? Why do I say all of us is desperate for a fresh encounter with Jesus? Because your purpose for existing is found in a person to be encountered. Your, your purpose is not in finding a religion. Your purpose is not in, in self-actualization. Your purpose is in encountering Jesus. And this relationship is available to anyone and everyone who will trust in Jesus, in his finished work on the cross, his sacrifice where he gave himself up for you and for me, who paid our debt and offers us forgiveness, offers us joy to be reconciled to God, to know God, to have that joy. And if you don't know Jesus personally today, then I'm praying that you will encounter Jesus today, that today you will come face to face with Jesus and that you will know him. Why? Why do I want you to know Jesus? And if you do know him, why do I want you to know him even more deeply? Because knowing Jesus, encountering him leads to joy. You were made for him. This is why you exist. This is your purpose. And so we were made to know and to enjoy God forever. And so may you look into the eyes of mercy and experience his perfect love. Every one of us is in need to one degree or another of God's healing, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional or spiritual, holistically, every one of us still needs more of God's healing. And if you don't know Jesus, then you need the ultimate healing. But even if you do know him, we still need his ongoing healing and presence. And only Jesus offers this complete and total and true healing. So let's look at this story a little bit more closely, and let's see how that happens. So in verse 1, we see Jesus traveled to Jerusalem for an annual feast. It doesn't say which one, but he was there for a feast. He was on a pilgrimage. And then verse 2, it says that he goes to a pool called Bethesda. Now, this pool was very interesting. It was considered to have had special healing powers. So according to local superstition... During certain seasons of the year, such as this one, a feast, a festival, there was this belief that an angel would stir the waters of this pool. And whoever stepped into the pool first, after the the angel stirred it, whatever disease they had would be healed. So this was just a common superstition that they had. Now, it also says that there was a structure that was built around this pool. It says a colonnade, so a series of columns, and so it had a roof. And so all those people that were around the pool who were waiting to be healed, because remember, so they believed that they could be healed miraculously. And so you had many people, it says in verse 3, that it says a multitude of invalids, lame, paralyzed, were all at the pool. And so they, they had some shade with this structure so that they wouldn't have to be in the sun as this multitude, I don't know how many hundreds, a thousand plus, it doesn't say, but a lot of people, a multitude of sick and blind and paralyzed, all huddled around this pool. Can you picture it? 
Can you imagine? A multitude. So a very large crowd of people around the pool trying to get the best position because, remember, as soon as it's third, the first one in gets healed. And so imagine everyone trying to push and, and get the best possible position around this pool. But these are not healthy people. These are sick people, blind people. These are people that can't walk. These are the people, a lot of them are just alone. They're beggars. Can you imagine trying to crawl over one another, crawling over the ones that are weaker so that you could then be right next to the pool so that as soon as you're stirring, you can just fall in and, and be healed. So can you just picture the withered and the wasted bodies, likely stench in the air, the suffering all around. This was likely a very depressing place. This is a picture of broken humanity, huddled around, desperate for healing. I can imagine if you went to Jerusalem and you went to the big bus tour and you bought a ticket to go on the double-decker bus to go around Jerusalem and see the temple and see everything. I doubt the pool of Bethesda was on the tour. I wouldn't expect that tourist wanted to go see this pool. Verse 5 says that there was a man there who was invalid for 38 years, suffering for almost four decades. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, where's verse 4? Because if you looked at it, it has verse 3, and then he goes to verse 5, and it just skips over verse 4. Now, I won't take long on this academic point, but I want to explain why there's no verse 4. Verse 4 does not appear, it's not there, on the oldest and best Greek manuscripts. And if you're not informed, I'll just explain briefly. Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament was written in Greek originally. And so the original manuscripts, we have thousands of these that date back to the first century. And so the oldest and most reliable, the best manuscripts don't have verse 4 in it. Later manuscripts have included verse 4. And so we can deduce from that that it was added later by someone or copyists in order to explain the context. Because verse 7 describes this man trying to get in the water. And he says, well, I can't be healed. Well, that doesn't even make sense. But verse 4 explains why. Verse 4 explains the historical context, the superstition of the belief of this angel that was stirring the waters. And so someone later added that explanation so that it would make sense. But it's not Scripture. It's not inspired by God. And so therefore, we want our English Bibles to be a translation of the original ones. And so verse 4 is not inspired, and so therefore it's not in the print. However, verse 4 in most Bibles is included in the footnotes. You can kind of see that, that context. So, so I digress back to the story. So you have verse 6. Let's read that together. Turn the page first. It says, Now when Jesus saw him lying there, 
and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? That's a powerful verse. At first glance, it doesn't really make sense. Well, first it does because he's God, so he knows he's been suffering for a long time. But the question, do you want to be healed? You might think, well, that's kind of an obvious question, Jesus. He's been suffering for a long time. It's safe to say after 38 years of this misery that, yes, Jesus, it's pretty obvious that he would want to be healed. It seems like an unnecessary or maybe even a ridiculous question. And yet, it's not. Not when it comes from Jesus. It's an important question. It's a relevant question for you and me today. Let me remind you the main idea of this story is that Jesus offers true and complete healing. And so this encounter here is revealing to us how you and I can experience this true and complete healing from Jesus. And there are three specific points revealed here in this text on how the steps and how we experience this healing. The first one is if you want to experience healing from God, number one, you have to desire healing. You have to want it. You have to be hungry for it. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. So there's where you get the the context from the missing verse 4. He believed that he could be healed by going in the water because that was the common superstition. And so for almost four decades, this man has suffered. He has suffered but desperately trying every day to claw his way to reach for healing. But he has failed every single time. He's been reaching out for healing, and he has gotten shoved back into his painful, paralyzed pit of a life. Can you relate? Can you relate to that suffering? Today, on this Friday morning, does your soul need healing? Have you tried to reach out for healing, for deliverance, for peace, for joy? And when you have been trying to reach out for it and you're trying to get to it, you feel yourself shoved back into your painful state. And maybe today you feel emotionally or spiritually paralyzed. Much like this man was paralyzed physically, maybe you can relate. And maybe this question that Jesus asked resonates in your mind and soul. Do you want to be healed? If you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation, then that is your first step towards healing is the desiring to be free from the slavery of your sin, to have your soul healed, and to trust in the one who is your healer who paid the price on the cross for you. And you can be reconciled to God. But do you want it? Do you want it? 
if you already are a believer today, which I imagine most of us are, the more deeply that you begin to know Jesus, the more that you're going to see how much more healing you really need, how much more of God's ongoing healing you need. And so if you're a believer, same question. Do you want to be healed? See, I'm talking about things that are not as obvious. I'm talking about bitterness. I'm talking about unresolved conflict or sinful patterns that sometimes can be even hidden from our own eyes. And people are trying to tell us, and we don't hear it or we don't, we don't see it. And we can ignore it. We can ignore the pain. We can ignore the problems. And we can numb ourselves or try to bury it deep inside. And sometimes, sometimes it's even hard to put a finger on it. Maybe you can relate to this. Where you know something, something isn't right in your soul. But you can't, you can't quite pin it down. But you know that you have anxiety. That, you're, you're feeling the anxiety, you're, you're feeling stress, maybe you're feeling anger or depression. These negative emotions or responses to something deeper that's going on spiritually. But maybe there's just feelings or impressions and you're just not right, but you can't even put it into words. Can you relate? But the reality is that you know that there is something wrong deep down inside. Maybe it's the reason why you're not sensing God's presence throughout your days. And when you pray, it feels dry or empty. Or when you read the word, it feels insipid. Or maybe it's why you don't feel empowered by God's spirit. Maybe it's why your soul just has no peace. Are you bold enough? And I mean this. Will you be bold enough to honestly ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you what the source of your spiritual unhealth is? Because there is a root, but we have to be bold enough, honest enough with ourselves, with our God, and with trusted brothers and sisters close to us to be honest, ask the question, say, God, reveal to me. What is, what is the root? And I, I believe God's faithful. He'll reveal. He will show you if we are honestly asking. But oftentimes we do know we just don't want to face it. But can we be honest about how we really are living our lives? Are we holding on to sinful patterns or bitterness or anger because it actually provides a source of comfort or relief? And the idea of giving that up of being healed from that is actually scary because you have turned to that pattern for comfort. Do you want to be healed? Do we really want it deep inside? I pray that we do, that we want God's presence, purity, integrity, holiness, that we want more of him, that we're hungry for and we want true healing and deliverance more than holding on to the things that would hold us back. So I ask you this question. What do you want? What is it? 
What is it that your heart craves for the most? May it be Jesus. May it be his presence. May we be hungry for him and for his healing. And so if we want to experience his healing, number one, we have to desire it. Number two, we have to recognize that you can't heal yourself. You have to just be honest and admit, okay, I can't heal myself. Because that's what happened with this man. For 38 years, he had tried to find healing in his own power. He found the source, this pool. He did everything in his power to be healed, to try to get to the pool whenever he saw it stirred by dragging himself at this source of healing. But we can't do that. We can't drag ourselves to healing. We can't get to it on our own. Our willpower isn't enough. We can't improve ourselves or change ourselves. If we're trying, if we're trying to change based upon our own abilities, we are destined to fail. We have to acknowledge and submit and realize that we cannot change ourselves. Verses 8 through 9 are important. It says, And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. You see, he had failed every single time before in his attempts to be healed in his own power. But then Jesus comes, and he just speaks the word. And Jesus didn't even have to use the pool. He, he didn't need the pool's supposed special properties. He just spoke the word, and this man was miraculously, powerfully healed. So this is showing the power of God to heal us when we can't heal or fix ourselves. And so if one experiences healing, it's all about your focus. It's all about your focus. If you're focusing on your problems, you won't be healed. You won't. If you're focusing on the perceived impediment, like this man, he was focusing on, oh, I can't get to the pool. That's why I can't be healed. If I could just get to the pool, if I could just overcome this impediment, this barrier, this is what's preventing me from being healed. He was focusing on the wrong thing. We can't focus on what we believe is the impediment that prevents us from having healing or prevents us from having freedom. You focus on Jesus. Focus on him. Because he is the only one that can deliver you. He's the only one that can heal you and change you and restore you. He's the one that can do it. And so we can't focus on the problems or focus on the pain. We focus on Jesus. So what do we do? How do we do that? You run to him. I mean, genuinely run to Jesus. You hide yourself in him. You run to the refuge of Jesus. You abide in him. You cry out to him. You pour your heart out honestly to him. You, you saturate yourself in the word. And so you get up early, which might mean for a lot of you maybe going to bed earlier, but you get up earlier and you read the word, but you don't read it fast. You read it slowly, pouring over it. And, and when you're reading it, you're applying it. You're picturing it. You're, you're meditating, you're focusing, you're thinking on it. And then you pray the word. You just pray what you're reading and you just, just spend time in God's presence. We have to abide in Jesus or we have no power 
Only he can change us. But he changes us as we submit to him. Maybe you say today, but pastor, my soul is in so much anguish because I have this addiction. Well, I will join you in prayer. I won't repeat it to anyone else, but I'll pray for you. You can tell me or tell your home group leader or another elder. We will join you in prayer. We will intercede for you. We'll pray that God will give you power. We'll pray that you'll be delivered from that addiction. We'll pray that you'll be hungry for healing, that you will recognize you can't do it on your own. We'll help you get accountability. We will walk this road with you. But do you really want it? And will you admit that you can't heal yourself? Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm in anguish because... I've been hurt so badly. I'll join you in prayer. I will pray for you. Jesus can heal you. He can heal those wounds that no one else can see because they're emotional. But he can restore that peace and that joy. He can restore your wounded soul. He can help you to forgive your oppressor. And to do the impossible, which is to love your enemy. The power of God can do it. With with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. You say, Pastor, my soul is in anguish because my marriage is just so broken. I'll pray for you. He can resurrect. He can heal. If he can take a man 38 years who couldn't walk, who was trying in his own power to get to the pool, and he can just say, get up, and he is instantly healed, and he can heal you and your marriage, your kids, your job situation. Maybe you're broken because you just want a spouse. Maybe you're in anguish because you would just love to have a wife or a husband. I would love to pray for you, bless you, and, and ask God to provide and to bring you that person that you can love And display the glory of God in how you love your husband or wife. Whatever level of brokenness you are working through, you have to believe that Jesus is stronger. Desire his healing. Recognize you can't heal yourself. And just entrust your soul to him. Lastly, to experience his healing. Number three is rest in Jesus. You must rest in him. There's a progression here in this story. It, it begins and it ends here with, we must rest. Verse 10, you have religious leaders that were very angry because this man was now walking, who for four decades couldn't walk, and now he's healed by the power of God, and they're angry because he's carrying his bed. They're angry because he's broken the Sabbath. One of their legalistic man-made rules. The Bible doesn't say don't carry your bed. That's not in the Torah. That was just oral tradition. They had made up these 39 rules of what you can and you can't do on the Sabbath. And this was one of them. You can't carry your bed. It's against the law. It's not lawful. And so they didn't care that Jesus had just displayed the glory and power and authority and healing of God. They were, they were upset that this man, Jesus, 
had broken one of their laws. No joy. What you see here is when you have legalism, when you have people that are list checkers, you know, checking everyone and how they're living and how they're dressing or what they're doing or you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't listen to this music or you shouldn't be doing that and it has to be this way and here's, here's the list. People that are like that, legalistic list checkers, I've not met one that's joyous. Have you? They don't have joy. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, no joy. They didn't rejoice in what God was doing. They were frustrated that Jesus wasn't playing by their rules. And so they approached this man and says, why are you walking around holding your mat? And he says, it's not me. He blames Jesus. It's Jesus' fault. He sounds like, like Adam. It's amazing. He said, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. Jesus told me to carry my mat. He's not even praising God either. It frustrates me. What you're seeing here, though, this whole conversation about the Sabbath and how it had become this, this legalistic, man-centered way of expressing it, but at its root, the Sabbath is good. See, Jesus established the pattern where God did for a Sabbath when he created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he ceased. He took a Sabbath. He rested. Now, was God tired, you think, of creating? No, he just spoke. He's all-powerful. God wasn't tired. He didn't need a break. He chose to rest, to cease work, to set a pattern for us. Well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, when they created, took a step back to just enjoy the perfect display of their glory that was revealed in creation. So they're just basking in the glory of their creation, the Trinity here, the Godhead. And so that's what the Sabbath is for. The purpose of the Sabbath is for restful, focused enjoyment of God. So you hear me? The Sabbath is for a focused, restful enjoyment of God. It's about worship. It's about focusing so that we can treasure God. So the ultimate meaning of the Sabbath that we got in the Old Testament, in the law, in the Torah, is fulfilled in Jesus. The rest that our souls find in Jesus. When Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your weary souls. Resting in Jesus is the point of the Sabbath. We rest in him. And we await that day we're going to have the final Sabbath rest when we'll be with him for eternity in heaven. That day is coming. Until then, we continue daily to rest in Jesus. Now, we don't observe the Sabbath in a legalistic way, but the idea, the principle of taking one day to focus on God is still a good principle for us to follow. So we gather here on Fridays. Now, it's not on a Saturday, but God sees the heart. And so we'll be talking to home groups this week on ways that we can, in practical ways, really in, make Fridays a day that we set apart for Jesus to focus and to love him more deeply. He sees your heart. It's not about a legalistic thing. It's not about, oh, that's work carrying your mat. 
That's not what it was about. It's about praising and enjoying God. And so this is the spirit what the Sabbath is about. Verse 14, Jesus finds a healed man in the temple, and he says to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, verses 15 and 16 also read, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. He's like telling on Jesus. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And so Jesus wanted this man to have far more than physical healing. He wanted this man to turn away from his sin and to trust in him for his salvation. He was saying he, he wanted his soul to be healed, his soul to rest. And he says so that nothing worse will happen to you. Well, I can't think of anything worse than 38 years of the misery that he lived on this side of heaven and later in John 5, it talks about the resurrection. And so I believe that what he's saying here is something worse is eternal condemnation. Turn from your sin. Trust in me so that your soul won't be lost. I want more than just to heal your body. I want your soul to be well. I want you to know me. Experience me deeply profoundly. And then verses 17 and 18 as we wrap it up. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, there's a reason why, because he is equal with God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is equal and it says that he is working. He is still at work today. And so Jesus doesn't take a day off. He doesn't rest so that we can. He's working to heal, to restore, to redeem. And yet he works in a perfect state of restfulness. Jesus is not working frustrated or stressed Oh, he's working, but he's at rest when he's working. And this is our calling, to rest in him. Is your soul at rest? Is your soul restless? In our fast-paced world, we are just so desperate for rest. Will you just sit at the feet of Jesus? And rest with him. And just talk to him. And pour your heart out to him. And let him, through his spirit, heal you. You have the religious leaders and this man that was healed. You see no praising of God. And you see no joy from them. Because their souls weren't healed. Do you have joy? Real, from the inside, overflowing joy. I pray that you will encounter Jesus, experience his healing that only he can bring. Will you pray with me? Father, we do praise you today. We admit to you that we are not worthy, but you are. 
We thank you for your perfect love. We thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. We thank you that you are our healer. And we truly are just desperate for your healing. We can't heal ourselves and our souls so desperately need to just rest in you. Help our disbelief. Help us to trust you. To lay aside our burdens and cast them upon you. I pray that you would help us to be a church that is so focused on you that the result is transformed lives that are just full of joy as we enjoy you. So we thank you and we praise you in the name of our Savior, our King, and our first love, Jesus. Amen.